Good morning and welcome to Soul Sanctuary. My name is Jordan. I'm one of our pastors here. And hey, if you are joining us uh, for the first time, if you're our guest, maybe you just somehow happened upon our live stream or our Facebook live stream this morning, I want to say welcome to you. If you're a skeptic, uh, trying to figure out this whole faith thing, this whole spirituality thing, you have a place here uh, we as a church community, we are teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. We call this series From a Friend. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, the, the, the messed up church in Corinth, if you will. Pastor Jerry, a couple weeks ago, affectionately referred to them as a complete dumpster fire. Man, if you relate, if you identify with complete dumpster fire, you have a place here this morning. Now, uh, Paul's intention in writing this letter of 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth is to really uh, uh, draw them into living out their purpose in Christ. And he kind of does that in two ways. On one hand, he absolutely lamblasts them for some of the things that they're doing. But on the other hand, he's full of a deep and, and rich encouragement for them to really press into their faith, to begin to figure out some of the things that are going on among them. Our, our passage today comes from uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and onward to the end of the chapter. And wherever you are in this moment, okay, you're watching, maybe you're, maybe you're in the bathroom on your phone, uh, maybe you are uh, sitting on the couch with the family, maybe you're eating your bowl of Cheerios, whatever. Uh, take this moment as a moment of seriousness where we have the opportunity collectively, you know, we're apart but we're united and we can come to the scriptures together. We can look to the scripture and we can say, hey, it's not just a dead book that we read, old letters, but it's actually the word of God for the people of God that we have an opportunity to be ministered to by the power of the Holy Spirit through the inspired words of scripture. Take that seriously this morning. Come to the text with a reverence. Come to the text with an expectation to hear from God. Okay. Remember last week, Pastor Jordan McClellan, he kind of set the tone for us, talking about spiritual gifts in the, in the first half of 1 Corinthians 12. And so Paul says, hey, you've been given gifts, and then he lists a whole bunch of gifts, and, and Pastor Jordan broke those down for us. And I don't think that, that, that the Apostle Paul gives us an exhaustive list of gifts, but he sure gives us a, a kickstart in the right direction. You know, he, he, he set the tone last week, for where we're going to go this week, where, where we've talked about individual gifts, and now we're going to talk about the coming together of those gifts, the coming together of those persons in, in the context of the church, or as the metaphor that Paul uses, the body. Okay, so let's kick things off. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now, let's start here for a moment, kind of camp on this first verse. Paul's preferred metaphor for Christ is a body that is made up of many parts. And the many parts make up the body of Christ. Uh, back in July, I got sick. And I can tell this story now because I'm like 99% uh, over it. But there was a long period of time in July and into August when my body was just, it was not okay. It was not normal. Um, uh, my gastrointestinal system uh, was a little not functioning the way that it was supposed to be. A uh, bacteria had decided to get in there to set up shop and, and to make it its home. 
Um, and I'll admit it, I'm a bit of a crybaby, okay? My wife, Lauren, bless her heart, she, she tells me, you just verbalize all the time that you're sick. And Lauren, she could be literally dying, okay, on her deathbed in the other room, and she, she wouldn't even tell me that she felt unwell. She's just tough as nails. But for me, I need to verbalize it. I need to get it out. Maybe it's just that I need somebody to, to take a, uh, to, to, to on board with me, to give me a little sympathy, whatever it is. Lauren's been graced with the spiritual gift of listening to her husband complain and then telling him it's not that bad, okay? But real talk for a minute. While sick, uh, I, I was down for a week with a fever and with, like, um, emergency bathroom visits every 30 minutes. Probably too much information for you, but, but, but bear with me. Uh, Lauren actually said to me, she's like, Jordan, I know you're really sick when you stop telling me how sick you are. I'm like, okay, fair, fair. And for the, the next couple of weeks, you know, I, I had nausea, I had the emergency bathroom vis- visits, I had dizzy spells, I had all sorts of things going on, and it just wasn't a good scene. Here's the thing. When the body is sick, when something's not functioning right, just like in the church in Corinth, there needs to be change, okay? There, there needs to be some sort of action that's taken. Paul, he's writing to a sick body, you know, a, a, a dumpster fire, of a church, a dumpster fire of a community, uh, but he's reminding them of a couple fundamental truths. He, he, he's reminding them that they need to introspectively reflect on some things and actually come to understand, uh, uh, come to understand these things, not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge, which will help lead to a transformation and make them healthy again. Now, uh, I managed to get a prescription for a powerful antibiotic that, that wiped out uh, the gut bacteria. Um, it was a, f- I mean, I was going to say, it's a fun process. It was actually not a fun process. My, my shoulder muscles spasmed all the time. They went like this for the, for the course of the drug. And I felt like a baby bird trying to fly because my muscles were constantly going crazy. But after, after a couple of weeks of being off the drug, I'm back to life as normal. And I'm not living in a blur anymore. And I'm able to accomplish the tasks set before me. This is a good thing. There was some sort of change that had to happen in order to return back to health. Now, Verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. We begin to track the metaphor that Paul's laying out here. We're inclined to say, hey, Paul, like, don't you mean so it is with the church? Like, the metaphor, the metaphor is, is the church, right? Like, the body has many parts, like you and me, bro, like, we're all a part of the body but you mean so it is with the church. And Paul's like, no, so it is with Christ. So I want you to take a moment, like why is Paul using this really personalized language, so it is with Christ? Think back to, to Acts 9 for a minute. I think Paul is, 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 is teaching or using such strong personalized language because he's been taught this way. In, in Acts chapter 9, Paul met the glorified Christ. and He had a conversion experience. Saul was his name before his conversion. And he's traveling the road to Damascus when he meets Jesus. And Jesus shows up in all power and authority. Literally a blinding light, right? And he says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, uh, Saul, he was overseeing, he was enticing the murder and overseeing the persecution of Christians. You know, uh, Christ had already died and rose again. And, but in that moment when he meets the risen Christ, why are you persecuting me? Like, bro, this is personal. Not why are you, you persecuting those who follow me. And let, let, let's track this here. 
when Jesus was alive on earth, which is a historical fact, you know, like many extra biblical sources talk about Jesus being alive on earth. We know that Jesus existed and, and we read about him in the scriptures. We read about his character revealed to us in the gospels. Now, when he lived on earth, he demonstrated the love of God to a hurting and broken world, the physical world with which he interacted with. Uh, start by reading the Gospel of John. Get an insight into the character of who Jesus was. And now this culminates. His life and his ministering to a physical world culminates. It comes to a head in his sacrificial death, uh, saving all of those who come to acknowledge him as both Lord and Savior of their lives. Now Christ continues his work today. And he continues that work through those who have responded by faith to his message. And those people are what we know as the church. It's the body of believers. It is now the body of Christ as the church is tasked with demonstrating the love and, and the mercy of God to the outside world. You know, to clearly and boldly to uh, proclaim to a world that is lost that there is hope found in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The church now functions as Christ's body, the physical presence of the risen Lord who are collectively bringing the message of Jesus to the world. So, so now all of a sudden Paul's, Paul's verb, verbiage, <laughs> Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, they begin to make sense. So it is with Christ as a church. As a church, you and I, as followers of this risen Christ, we are called to be godly. We are called to be holy. We are called to serve the one true God in every areas of our lives. With our time, right? With our abilities, with our money, it is the church who is then called to reflect Christ to the world. So it is with Christ. I, uh, I saw a post on Instagram a couple weeks ago, and... Uh, it was posted by a young pastor and kind of tongue-in-cheek, and it made me laugh. And he said this. He said, people my age want to work like 17 hours a week. They want to work from home or like a coffee shop and get paid $89,000 with benefits and feel like they're changing the world while doing it. Oh, and they desire to be developed, but only in like a friend way, Okay. And I couldn't help but laugh when I saw this post because I saw myself in this post. You know, I saw my friends in that post. I saw my generation in that post. I see the Western world in that post. Like, yo, I want to do minimal work, right? I want to do minimal work um, and retaining maximum comfort, earning a ludicrous amount of money, and somehow feel fulfilled in what I'm doing. Okay, and not only that, I want to be developed. Like, I want somebody to call the best out of me, but only in a way that doesn't encroach on my comfort and doesn't encroach on my personal desires and the plan that I have for my own life. Right, like, here's the thing, yo. You and I, we are made for more than the Western rat race. I have a firm conviction that you as a follower of Christ, that I as a follower of Christ, that we as the body of Christ have a responsibility to participate redemptively. Mark my words here. To participate redemptively in our society. Bringing the hope, bringing the healing and joy of Christ wherever we go. That's the job of a Christian. And so if that's the job of a Christian, we need to ask the next question. I mean, where do we start? Where do we start? 
with his Holy Spirit. Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. But of many. Okay, those watching who call yourselves Christian, okay? We are uniquely unified together through baptism. Okay, we can talk about the waters of baptism. Pastor Jerry and Jordan uh, and Pastor Jordan talked about that this morning, right? The waters of baptism. I can't wait to come together as a community and to see people baptized, making that public declaration of their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism, okay? So we're unified in water baptism, yes, but we're also unified in spirit baptism. Yeah, the, the water demonstrates it, but the, the, the spirit demonstrates our new calling, our new vocation. Right? We're baptized by one spirit. We form one collective body. It's the unifying element that holds us all together. I mean, it doesn't even matter your lot in this life, your background in this life, where you've come from. None of that matters because we are many parts unified together for the common good by the Holy Spirit. So if we, the church then, are to participate redemptively in our society, which I truly believe we are called to, by the unifying power of the Holy Spirit, we must then identify the gifts that God has given each one of us and then use them in the service of this church and of the world. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, translate grace to gifts. That's an easy understanding of this passage. Paul's saying, yo, to the church in Ephesus, you have gifts. You know, uh, but by, by the goodness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been tooled and equipped to make a difference in this world. So, let's identify these gifts. I, I, in this conversation, I like to start here. I like to have a conversation about ability, affinity, and affirmation. Like, write these down for a moment. Grab your, grab your notebook, open up notepad. Ability, affinity, and affirmation. Ability, like, what are you objectively good at? Okay, affinity, what do you love? Like, what, what, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And then affirmation, like, what do others say you're good at? So ability, affinity, and affirmation. Let's break them down. Ability. You have skills. Whoever you are, you have got a set of skills. I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are even. You're good at something. What is it? What is it? Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm good at that, but that really doesn't translate into, you know, serving God or serving others or ministering in the church or ministering to the world, right? You, you just wrote yourself off as like, I can't use that skill. What else am I skilled at? Hold up. Back up for one minute. Here's the lesson that I have been learning. Uh, God uh, can't, God will use obscure gifts. This is the lesson I've been learning in the last number of months. God will use obscure gifts for his glory. It's not the obscurity of the gift that you have. It's not the obscurity of the skill set you have. It's your level of obedience in responding to the call that he has for your life. Don't underestimate the degree to which God could use your video game skills, I don't know, for, for dynamic, creative, and redemptive purposes in this world. All to the praise of his glory. And I'm not even kidding here. Like, 
Don't underestimate the degree which God can use your funny skills and abilities for the common good. You may need some discernment in that process. Yo, little junior high, you're pumped up right now. You're like, I am going to use my video game skills for the glory of God. I believe that it can happen, but you need a little discernment in that process. Like, it's a little bit of figuring out what this exactly looks like. But before you write your skill set off, put yourself at the foot of the cross. Humble yourself before God, asking him to use what you can bring. Look to the scriptures right throughout man. He rarely uses the most qualified, gifted people. Okay. Ability. What are you good at? What skills do you have? Okay, affinity. Like, what do you love? You know when you close your eyes at night and you can't sleep because you're excited about something? And it's like on the back of your eyelids, this highlight reel is playing. And you're like, oh my goodness, I can't wait up to get up in the morning and do whatever I'm about to do. Right? Like, what do you love doing? What do you have eyes for? What are you passionate about? Ask yourself that question. So, so ability, what am I objectively good at? Affinity, what do I love? And now finally, affirmation. What do others say you're good at? What do others say you're good at? This is, this is a process of discernment here, okay? This is a process of, of beginning to get into the conversations of what do I have to offer the church? What do I have to offer the world? What do others say you're good at? We've all seen American Idol compilations on YouTube, right? Or if you're like over 40, you watched them live back in the day and you voted with your T9 text phone on who your favorite person was. No shots fired at you. Anyways, we watched the person walk into the room because it makes great TV and they're like, man, I got the voice of an angel, right? And then they got their little fan club who's outside the door being like, go, Johnny, go, Johnny. Johnny walks in the room and gets absolutely ripped apart by the judges, right? Johnny's like world is completely shook because he thought he was just like the absolute best preacher, or preacher, he was the absolute best singer in the world. <laughs> I mean, but if American Idol has proved anything to us, that it's that your affirmation has to come from somebody who's more objective than your mama, right? Like your mama, she loves you. Her opinion of you is so high. But think outside of your immediate family circle. What do people say that you're good at? I can, be, I can remember as, as a youth. It was in my teenage years. And I was at a youth camp, and, and a pastor came up to me, and he's like, man, you're going to be a church leader. And I was like, what? Like, definitely not at that time. I was going to be a politician. I was going to be... Um, a lawyer. That was my, my game plan. Lawyer than politician. And he's like, no, man, you're going to be a church leader. And I didn't know what that meant at that time. And it took years for that to ever come to, to some sort of actualization. But I look back on that moment now as a prophetic affirmation in my life by this pastor. He, he knew by the power of the Holy Spirit, man, he knew the future for my life. And he spoke that into me as a young man. Um, one of our, our interns this year, Alyssa, uh, Alyssa Sanchez. She graduated from, from Wildlife this last year, and then this summer, she served on our summer ministry st uh, staff, helping execute our, our kids' camps, and then now she's in the sole internship program. And I can recall when COVID first broke out, uh, we did Growth Track online, and Alyssa, she joined Growth Track, and in step two, we did this spiritual gift test, and we're having conversations about how God has gifted us, and one of Alyssa's gifts that came up was the gift of administration. And, and, and the gift of administration is probably best understood as like the divine ability, okay? So, so it's inspired by the Spirit. It's, it, it's a divine uh, in working uh, where you can then organize groups and organize people and organize things to get stuff done, to get tasks done. It, it's a 
it's a divine strength or ability. I think that's exactly it. And so, so Alyssa had this, and she's like, man, that really fits right up my alley as far as things that, that, that I'm good at, as far as things that I love, and the affirmation that I've heard from other people. Now, later on in the summer, after her growth track, Alyssa, at the beginning of summer, she came to apply for the summer ministry staff job. Alyssa showed up into her, her job interview carrying a folder, and before she even sat down, she gave me a resume, right? Like she was dressed for, she was ready for the job interview gives me the resume, and it's like, okay, sit down. Like, we're going to talk. She came prepared, you know. The administration side of her was already thinking before she ever showed up to that meeting. Now, oh, uh, we, we ended up hiring her, right? And over the, the course of summer, we learned really quick that Alyssa, she crosses her T's and she dots her I's, and we gave her responsibility for the planning and the execution and the overseeing of a lot of stuff that, that, that works for our summer uh, ministry camps. Uh, Alyssa has obvious gifts that God has placed in her, which she can use to serve the church and to serve the world. That is what I'm talking about when I say affirmation. What do people from the outside see? Let's go to verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong in the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, hear me, but in, hear Paul, verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Whoa. Just as he wanted them to be. In the design of the body, okay? In the design of, I mean, both the human body, but in the design of the body, following Paul's metaphor here, we see the wisdom of God, right? In that everyone has something, but nobody has everything, right? Everyone has a role, but nobody has all the roles. Uh, Everyone has a gift, but no one has all the gifts, You know, uh, I don't have the particular grace required to hold your crying, drooling child and comfort them. I just don't. I'm not that kind of person, you know. I have a dog. The dog has melted my heart a little bit. I'm sure one day if God graces me with children, children will melt my heart a little bit. But at this point, I don't. I remember holding my niece, Elena, for the first time, and she farted in my arms, and it vibrated, and I nearly dropped her because I was so disgusted, okay? But, but I don't need to have that particular grace because you may right god god may have graced me with the ability to preach scripture he may have graced me with other strengths and abilities but but he's graced you with caring for humans which make huge messes okay god has graced you with something he's graced me with something he has graced nobody with everything this is the wisdom of our Creator. And, and this is the wisdom as revealed in the church family that God has. God makes us rely on each other. Like, we need each other. I need you. You need me. We need her. We need him. We need each other. This is the beauty of the church family. We had a girl. She came to Wildlife um, a couple of years ago. And she came in and she gave her life to Christ. And it was, it was a huge praise God moment, celebration. She grew up without religion of any sort. But before she came to wildlife, guess who she was hanging out with? She was hanging out with the Mormons. Why? Because the Mormons were really nice to her. Right? They were so dang nice. Uh, in my opinion, it's quite a mental leap 
to become a Mormon. Okay, this is just my opinion. Everything from holy underwear to really having to play theological games to, to reconcile some, some quite messy writings. But why was this girl drawn there? You know, it, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the theology that drew her there. It wasn't that this made sense that it drew her there. You know, she was drawn there because of the community. And when she came to wildlife and ended up giving her life to Christ, she told me, man, I experienced the same community. You know, I experienced supporting and loving and caring and invested people in my life here at Seoul. But I also encountered the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can't manufacture that. So how much more then should you and I, should us as the church, the bearers of the capital T truth, how much more should we then be participants in the redemptive work of the true and of the living God? And how much more should we be inviting and drawing people in to, together in community? One of our family values here at Seoul is that you cannot do life alone. And this one hits deep for me every single time I hear a story of somebody finding community and subsequent life transformation here at Seoul. Uh, the church is the first family, right? And, and we actually need each other. We must rely on each other. Yo, time's up. The studies are in. Our kids are more connected than ever, but are more depressed and anxious than, uh, than, than, than ever. And it's not just our kids, right? It's you. It's you in your mid-30s sitting on your couch. It's you married with a perfect, happy family, but you're more depressed and anxious than ever. There's, there, there's something wrong. And if there's something wrong, then man, we got to find what's right. When there's something wrong in my gut, I got to figure out what that is. It's going to take a lot of tests, and it's going to take me being quite impatient with the doctor. But at the end of the day, we have to diagnose it. We have to seek a remedy for it. You know, we, we, we need touch. We need connection safely, right? Of course, safely. It's COVID. You know, we need people in our homes. We need community. We need people eating our food. We need to eat other people's food. We need connection with one another. It's not enough. Your immediate family, it's not enough. You need to be in connection with the body of Christ. You can't do life alone. They, they put it, uh, they, uh, our youth team. They designed like a whole bunch of like merchandise for, for Young and Wild Summer Camp this year. And, and one of them was a sweater. It was just a hoodie that said, you can't do life alone. I was like, man, that'll preach. You know, I'm going to wear that on my chest. Walk around. You can't do life alone. Seriously. We need each other. You know, it's not the Mormons. It's not, it's not heresies and offshoot theologies that, that, that harm the church. I mean, they harm the church, but the church has, has survived them for 2,000 years. You know, like, uh, you know what the church's biggest threat is? The church's biggest threat is when you and me think that we can do it by ourselves, right? You know what the biggest threat to the church family is? Is when the church family quits operating like a family and, and, and operates like a community club where, where you need a membership to show up, where you got to swipe your card. That's the biggest threat. I mean, it's when, it's when the church family refuses to humble ourselves. Ourselves, man, I'll put myself in this. I'm preaching to myself before Jesus when we refuse to humble ourselves before Jesus and we put our own interests first. Like, how can you be available for your church family when you spend all your time trying to be right? 
trying to justify yourself to others. Man, how can you be available for your church family when you're on Facebook all the time being a jerk? Right? Like, in Growth Track, we talk, we talk about um, uh, your personality is the vehicle which delivers your gifts. Okay, your personality, the way that other people perceive you on the outside is the vehicle which delivers your spiritual gifts. And here's the thing. If people don't like who you are, then people don't want what you have. Doesn't matter what your gift is, man, when you're a jerk on Facebook. Uh, Christians, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ who are watching, we need to be hospitable. We need to lay down our right to be right. We need to sacrifice for the common good, even if that means that our timelines, our agendas, our personal preferences are put on the back burner. So the next time you are up in arms, you are, you're anxious because your schedule just got thrown off because a person interrupted your nice little bubble, you know, whether that person is a part of the church family or whether that person is a part of the world. But the next time you get bent out of joint, remember this. Remember this. What's more important to you, man? People are things. The life of a Christ follower is one of reliance on each other. Verse 15 tells us that we need each other, that I need you, that you need me. And guess what? Some of you, you might have too much pride to ever rely on others in this community. But don't rob others of the chance to rely on you. If you have too much pride, you're like, I ain't need no one. I don't need no one. I never came knocking at anybody's door at the church. I didn't need anything. You know, I, 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 I don't need friends. I, I, I'm too good for that, right? Maybe you don't say that, but it's the in, internal monologue. Don't rob others of the chance to rely on you. And, and also remember that your, your time of vulnerability will come. You know, if it hasn't yet, it, you've, you've either been really, really lucky or you just haven't lived long enough yet. The time, uh, the, the time that you're going to need somebody is going to come. It's in the church it's the church, actually. It is the church that says to the world, you are not alone, right? It's the church that says, in, in, the, in this big, scary world, you actually have a family. You are a part of something bigger than yourself, right? When, when, when this body hurts, no, 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 this, this body does hurt when you stop operating in your gifts, Right? When, when our ear all of a sudden goes and we can't hear anymore, when our nose goes and we can't smell anymore, when our eye goes and we can't see anymore, the body hurts. Think about yourself as an integral part to the church family. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you are needed. And, and you might not believe it and you might not see it, but guess what? Such is the life of a servant. Such is the life of a follower. The enemy, you know, the devil, right? The one who's prowling like a roaring lion, waiting for someone to devour. He is actively trying to draw you away from Christ. And he's going to tell you two lies that's going to get you away from Christ. The first one is that the church doesn't need me. The church doesn't need me. And the second one is, I don't need the church. You know, in the life of being a pastor, it's not one that often yields tangible results right in front of your eyes in the short term, right? I'm the kind of guy who loves seeing my hard work pay off. We did personality tests 
this week with our staff at Seoul, you know, just learning to work well together and, and leaning into the, the, the strengths of our personality, right? Your personality is the vehicle that delivers your gifts. So we need to know about our personalities. We need to be self-aware about the times where we come off rude, the times that we come off angry with each other, especially when you're working together 40 hours a week. Uh, so my results, my strengths, or, or uh, my what, what gives me energy, as they, they lovingly put it, the things that give me energy are producing results, achieving goals, and speed and efficiency. None of those payoffs I get in pastoral ministry, right? Uh, no joke. This is probably why I plant snap peas in my garden. Snap peas, they, they vine and they spread everywhere, right? They take up your trellis. But there's something satisfying about a snap pea because you can put it in the ground and a couple days later you get a shoot. And that shoot grows so fast. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is probably why I love to garden because I know I can go outside and I, and I can put fertilizer in the soil and I can water it and I can let it have the sun. And what is it going to do? In the course of a season, it's going to produce things that I can eat. You know, it's going to produce things that go on my pizza and make it taste really good. It's going to produce things so I can make a salad for somebody coming over to my house because we're going to practice being hospitable, right? Safely hospitable. Whatever. You get it. Here, here, here's my point out of all of this. You might labor for years. You might labor for years without seeing the result of your labor, right? You, you might never know that you've made a difference. Uh, you might labor for years without hearing somebody thank you for your service. You might labor for years as a faithful servant of Christ Jesus. And you might question over and over and over and over again your usefulness. But the impact of your faithfulness has made an impact that can never be measured on this side of eternity. <laughs> Uh, fruitfulness is connected to faithfulness. Don't forget that over and over, investment and investment, it'll produce the results, but sometimes we can't see them. But often, we can't see them. Let me ask you this. Do you want to know what happened to my body when my digestive system stopped functioning? I mean, I gave you the sneak peek earlier, but here, here's the reality. You don't want to know you don't want to know. When one part stops or refuses or holds back its gifts from the community, when the ear or the eye or the nose or the hand or the whatever, whatever you are, the pinky toe, when it holds, you know how much you need your, your toes for balance, right? I heard that once. <laughs> we all have a role to play. The lie of the enemy is that, that I don't need the church. I don't need it. And the lie of the enemy is that the church don't, don't need me. Here, here's what it all boils down to. Like at the end of the day. In the end, there, there will be those who experience the grace of God and there will be those who don't. And when you come to stand before your creator, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and you must give an account for your life, Will the grace of God have been enough for you to rearrange your priorities, for you to have centered your life around Christ as evidence to your service in his church and your redemptive participation in our world? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Will the grace of God have been enough for you? Um in reflecting on uh, the eternal destination of our souls. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I willingly believe 
that the damned are, in one sense, successful. Rebels to the end. That the doors of hell are locked from the inside. They enjoy forever the horrible freedom that they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. Just as the blessed, forever submitting to obedience, become through all eternity more and more free. Wow, what, what is it that you're searching for? I'll tell you that it's been in Christ where I have found my answers. Not easy, not convenient, but undeniably the best ones. And, and if you're on a place in your spiritual journey where you're like, yeah, it's time for me to, to take a next step in my relationship with God. It's time for me to be brought into the family of believers. Then I want to encourage you to take a step of boldness this morning. Where, I mean, wherever you are watching this from, I don't care if you're in the bathroom still, wherever you're watching this from, can you take a moment and say, yes, I'm going to actually stand up and make a proclamation of faith in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you. I want to invite you into the family. I want to pray with you. I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer alongside of me. You can choose today, this morning, to commit your life to Christ by turning from your sin, repenting, doing a 180, and walking into the light of the plan that Christ has for you. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I have come to bring life and life to the fullest. And I can speak from my own experience and from the experience of countless who have gone before that life with Jesus is one of enduring freedom in ways which you could never have experienced where forever submitting to obedience, you find yourself becoming, like Lewis said, more and more free. Is it freedom? you want? Is it identity and following that you want? Is it belonging that you want? Now, those things are found in Christ. So pray with me. We'll pray a psalm from the scriptures. Psalm 51. It'll be on the screen. Let's pray together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is before me always. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you made a decision to follow Christ this morning, it doesn't stop here. It starts here. We celebrate with you, but we want to walk alongside of you as a church family. We want to help you get connected to the soul community and to really challenge you to take some next steps now in your relationship with Christ. 
Look to the comments. You might have to exit if you're in full screen mode, but on Facebook or, or, or on Church Online, wherever you're watching, look to the comments right now, and you'll find the link to a simple form. Life and life to the fullest awaits you. Click that link, man. Fill that in. Put in your name. Put, it, put in the little whatever it asks you for, your email address. And, and let's get you connected to family. Now, for those of us who are followers of Christ, even new followers of Christ, you're included in this, I want to take a moment and lead us in the Lord's Supper, in communion, in the Eucharist. Uh, all you need is to have two elements, one, one solid, one liquid. You can go to your kitchen now and secure those. But, but the, the solid reminds us of the body of Christ broken for us. At, at the Last Supper, Jesus broke bread and he gave thanks for it. Uh, and then uh, the wine or the grape juice or whatever you want to use there uh, it is the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And we participate in remembrance of who Christ was and what he did, his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, while you're, while you're getting those, remember this. We live in a world that loves to, to remind us of what makes us different. And, and not positively different, right? We, love to, or we live in a world that loves to remind us of our dividing lines, of the factions that we've separated ourselves into. But this is what makes a Christian different. That we come together, uh, regardless of our backgrounds, in unity with one another, unified on the most important thing in our lives, and that is Christ. I mean, even look at Jesus, who he surrounded himself with. Uh, among his disciples were a zealot and a tax collector, one who worked violently to overthrow Roman occupation, and one who was in bed financially with the Romans. You know, they had polar opposite political views. And to the point where they probably would have hurt each other, right? Like, but they came together at the table, unified through the bloodline of Christ. Let's not forget that. Uh, before we go uh, and participate, let's remind ourselves. Um, let's remind ourselves, uh, or let, let, let's orient our hearts on Christ. Let's fix our hearts on Christ. Take a moment together and let us repent for the times that we have allowed our divisions to be a priority over the fact that we share that bloodline of Christ. Let's take a moment. Father, forgive us our sins. Together we remember the sacrifice of your son Jesus. A sacrifice that we are so thankful for. I'll read from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's the Apostle Paul, just the chapter before what we just preached on. And uh, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also have passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the body that was broken for us. Let us participate together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's participate together. Whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And soul family, that is exactly what we have done together, unified 
Through our screens, through our devices, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We wait eagerly for new creation, for life eternal together with him. Now, at this point, we want to take an opportunity to pray for you. Uh, Our team is literally right here, right now, ready and waiting to enter into your living room or wherever you are watching to pray with you. Here's how that's going to happen. In the chat, in just a moment, you're going to see a link to a Zoom call. You get into that Zoom call, it's a moderated call where one of our team members are going to be able to partner you into a a private room and you can pray with one of our prayer team members. Um, These people are here to support you and to pray for you this morning, but we're going to get to that in just a second. In times of old, the one giving the blessing would extend hands, and those receiving a blessing would do likewise. If you want a blessing at home this morning, would you stand with me and extend hands? Hey, if there's only one person doing it in your family, look, look at everyone else. You know, let's stand. Let's take a moment. Let's do it together. We are in this unified as the body of Christ. Here's the blessing this morning. Okay, so sanctuary, as you go into your week, remember that you are a part of the family. Remember that the Spirit who gives good gifts has given you the divine enablement you need to glorify God. As you go, remember that your family needs your gifts and you need theirs. As you go, go glorifying the Creator God by active participation in the body of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and redemptive participation in your everyday life. It isn't Now that I want to invite you, click the link, the Zoom link in the comments. Let one of our prayer team members minister to you and use their gifts to the edification of this body for the common good of which you are a part. Grace and peace to you.